Good day, and welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, your host, and as always, I'm really glad that you've decided to join us. It's hard to believe more than a year into this pandemic that we're still talking about the uncertainty of this moment. The fact that even with vaccines, scientific evidence around the efficacy of masking and physical distancing, there is still so much we don't understand about the coronavirus and the variants that have taken shape and swept through the population. I want to spend today's show taking stock of where we are right now in terms of the pandemic. And of course, I want to hear from you. How are you managing things right now? As things kind of go back to in-person normal, what are your boundaries? What are the things that you're willing to do? What are the things you're not willing to do? What are the things that you are allowing your children to do or not do because of the persistence of the coronavirus? I think for all of us, this is an extremely personal set of decisions. Everyone's got to kind of decide for themselves what makes sense and what doesn't, how to be safe, but also not kind of lock yourself in a closet uh, the way that we had to for the worst parts of the pandemic. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there. Or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and uh, we'll work you into the conversation. Uh, later in the show, we're going to talk about how all of us, like the virus, uh, will continue to adapt our response to COVID. And how even though it might feel daunting, things will actually get a little bit easier as more time goes on. We're also going to take a look at the new school year through the lens of the pandemic and what the variety of implications of in-person learning are going to be for students and teachers and parents in the year ahead. But first up, I want to welcome someone who has taken a deep dive into the science of these COVID mutations that we're dealing with and what we might be able to learn about the evolving virus by examining the Delta variant. Catherine Wu is a staff writer at The Atlantic, where she covers science, and she joins me now. Catherine, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks so much for having me, Stephen. It's great to be here. Mm -hmm. So you know that Delta is the result of unfettered transmission. Uh, can you talk about that and how much of this is due to the vaccine refusal that we've seen and how much is tied to the fact that there are still parts of the world that are waiting, I guess, to gain access to the vaccine? Yeah. So, you know, think about it this way. Uh, since day one, this virus uh, called SARS-CoV-2, it's been mutating. Uh, that's what viruses do. That's really what all things do when given the opportunity. Um, this virus is gathering changes. Some of them are beneficial. Some of them do nothing for the virus. Some of them hurt the virus. But the more opportunities the virus has to mutate, uh, that kind of just increases the amount of variation in the virus that's out there. It's really all about a numbers game. The more chances a virus has to get into someone, the more chances it has to copy itself. That's just creating this enormous pool of variation, this really heterogeneous pool of viruses. And, you know, the more that pe the more people that happens in, maybe the more chance the virus hits upon something that makes it more successful, something that makes it faster, something that makes it 
you know, more evasive of certain types of immunity. Um, and, you know, those, those variants are going to be um, stronger, better equipped to infect people, and they're going to outcompete the others. That's basically what happened with Delta. You know, this is the product of a virus that has just kind of made a, a playground out of the world and had the opportunity to really explore everything it possibly can to make itself fitter and stronger and, be- and better at doing what it wants to do, which is infecting us. So we've talked a lot on this program about vaccines. I've done a lot of urging of our listeners and others in our community to go ahead and get the vaccine because I see it as the way forward in in terms of mm-hmm. all of this. Um, but but I want to I want to take a minute and talk just a little about the responsibility I guess that falls on those who have decided not to get uh, vaccinated. If I hear what you're saying correctly, uh, it sounds as though people who are not vaccinated are not just putting themselves at danger or making a decision that affects themselves. Uh, They are giving the virus a chance to spread among more people. And so Mm -hmm. by, by definition, it is, it is prolonging, I guess, uh, the, the the most dangerous period uh, with the virus and giving it a chance uh, to to strike out at, uh, at at people who maybe even are vaccinated by adapting uh, to, uh, to to the vaccination itself is is that an accurate way to think about this? Yeah, I, I I think that's a that's a fair way to put it. You know, one way to think about it is you know we do know that vaccination is doing something really incredible, both on an individual and population scale. You know, for the individual, uh, it's making people less likely to get infected, less likely to spread the virus, less likely to get very sick, less likely to get hospitalized and die. That's all really important. But, you know, let's focus on those first couple benefits, which is reducing infection and transmission. We're basically giving the virus fewer shots on goal within individual people. And then by reducing transmission, it also means the virus is less likely to infect someone else and, you know, spread and replicate there. Uh, so really, if we are thinking again about evolution being this numbers game, vaccination is really just making sure that the virus is sort of getting fewer turns to play on the board, fewer uh, opportunities to, you know, take a shot at the goal. That's really important. And, you know, you, you bring up this idea that, you know, the virus might be attempting to sort of um, adapt around some of the immune defenses we have. I do want to make sure I'm being really careful here and not suggesting that, you know, vaccines themselves are are causing the virus to mutate or anything like that. Uh, The overwhelming effect here is that because viruses are sort of reducing the opportunities that the virus has um, to to replicate and acquire some of these potentially problematic mutations, it really is helping us sort of uh, control viral evolution in a larger sense. Mm. Uh, I also want to talk just a little about um, about the safety of the vaccine, because, again, mm-hmm. uh, we've been urging people in our community to go ahead and, and, and get one of the vaccines. Uh, how afraid should those of us who are vaccinated be of variants like Delta? Is it is it breaching uh, this this protection that that we've all uh, decided is is the best way to to keep the virus from from spreading. 
Yeah, that's a really important question to be thinking about right now. I think in the past couple months, especially, we've been hearing all of these reports of, you know, quote unquote, breakthrough infections. Um, and I do want to try and put this in perspective as much as I can. Let's think first about what the vaccines were originally designed and tested to do. Um, you know, remember that in clinical trials, what vaccine makers were really looking for was a shot powerful enough to train the immune system to stop severe disease and death. And, you know, the clinical trials are measuring protection against symptomatic disease. Uh, there are more infections happening among the vaccinated right now. But remember that infection can be anything that is detectable virus in the airway. That doesn't necessarily mean symptoms. That doesn't necessarily mean severe sickness. It means these people are encountering the virus, but sometimes if they're totally asymptomatic, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that means their immune system fought the virus off. It destroyed the virus. And what we're picking up with those tests is like, you know, debris or carnage after the immune system has successfully attacked the virus and gotten rid of it. I don't want people to necessarily worry about positive tests. You know, the vaccines were not designed to eradicate positive tests. Uh, our first and foremost goal is to reduce morbidity and mortality and those bad outcomes that are overwhelming the health system and making people really, really sick. And everything that we know so far is that the vaccines are still doing this to an extraordinary degree. Yeah. Delta, because it does spread so fast and there is so much of it around, you know, vaccines are not an impenetrable shield around every person that they go into. Uh, you know, some infections are going to happen as long as transmission is really high and Delta replicates so fast that maybe it can set up shop in the airway, but really everything we know is that our immune systems, when they are vaccinated, are really doing a fantastic job of fighting off the virus in people who have strong, um, competent immune systems. Mm -hmm. I'm talking with Catherine Wu. She is a staff writer at The Atlantic, where she covers science. We're talking about uh, the coronavirus and the Delta variant in particular, how dangerous it is, uh, what it's doing, how it's surviving, how it continues to pose a threat uh, to us during uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, we're talking all hour today about where we are in this particular moment of the pandemic, where we've got a vaccine, uh, we have made big plans a couple times to get back to the world as we knew it before the pandemic. And those plans have been foiled by the persistence of the virus, the adaptability, the mutation of uh, the virus. So I, I really want to know from uh, listeners today what you're doing. How are you handling all of what's going on? What decisions are you making about what it's okay to be doing again and what you maybe think it's not okay to be doing again? Uh, what do you think it's okay for your children to be doing again? Uh, and what things are you still trying to hold them back from? How are you making decisions about where we are in the pandemic and uh, how eager you might be to move on, to move back to uh, some semblance of normalcy. Call and uh, let me know how you're thinking about all of these things and uh, what you're doing. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You also can go to the WDET Facebook page, as always. Put comments there, and we'll try to include you in the conversation. Or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. And uh, we'll work you into the conversation 
that way. Uh, as always, we want to hear from you about vaccines as well. Uh, are you someone who's taken the vaccine is maybe frustrated that more people haven't taken it and worried that that makes you more susceptible uh, to get to getting COVID-19? Uh, we also, of course, want to hear from people who are still hesitant, who have just decided this is not for me, maybe not yet, maybe not ever. Call and tell us why. What is uh, your thinking about uh, why you won't do the thing that scientists tell us is uh, the best way to get out of this pandemic? Again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. You can also go to Facebook and Twitter, and uh, we'll work you into the conversation uh, that way. So, so Catherine, before we get to listeners, I, I want to talk about what comes after Delta. That's been on my mind quite a bit uh, over the last couple of days. Uh, obviously, Delta is not the first uh, mutation. Uh, it's, that's the fourth letter of the, of the Greek alphabet, not the first. Um, uh, what, is, what is the possibility that we'll face an even more uh, pernicious and, I guess, adaptable uh, uh, strain of the virus um, and and how do we even how do we even prepare for something like that? Uh, how how afraid I guess should we be that Delta is not the end but the beginning? Yeah, that's a really important question right now. And you know, unfortunately, I cannot forecast how the virus is going to evolve. Um, sure. You know, I absolutely wish that I could, and I know there are many others who wish they could as well. But you know, because this process is kind of random. We don't really know the sort of potential evolutionary space this virus can occupy. There are a lot of people working on this now, um, but, you know, there's kind of a, a good news and bad news tilt to this. Uh, Delta is incredibly potent as a variant. Um, it spreads so fast, which means it's going to have a really easy time outcompeting a lot of the other things that are out there. And, and that's exactly what it has done. You know, remember that at one point, Alpha was a much more dominant variant. Uh, and Alpha has pretty much evaporated in this country and many others because Delta has just kind of totally usurped its position. Um, that means, you know, Delta is very successful. It means we should be very concerned about Delta now. That does make it very difficult for another variant to take over Delta. Um, it would have to be better than Delta at infecting people. Hmm. That could take a lot of different forms. It could be, you know, maybe even faster than Delta, though we do expect that at some point the virus is going to reach a, a limit, you know, that the virus is not going to eventually mutate into a, a roadrunner or a pterodactyl. It does have limits in terms of what its genome can do for it. Um, but, you know, and, uh, another way that, that a variant could do particularly well is you know, as the world gets more and more immune, uh, certain variants might have better success, um, uh, I guess, having mutations that make it easier for them to uh, become invisible to the immune system, to sort of flip around the, some of the defenses that, um, that uh, vaccines and uh, other types of immunity offer. Um, again, you know, this is not uh, something that is caused directly by vaccines, but we do have to keep in mind that uh, that is possible if we allow a lot of spread to, again, occur primarily among the unvaccinated. That is the big concern. The net effect of vaccination is going to reduce the likelihood that that happens. But when we do have a partially vaccinated population, this does become a little scary. I do want to 
pause here and, and make sure that I, I tell people, you know, there is really not a ton of incentive for a virus, all else equal, to get more deadly. Uh, what viruses want to do is spread and infect people. And in some cases, you know, becoming deadlier can actually be counterproductive. Mm. If a host dies before they spread the virus, that doesn't do much good for the virus. Sometimes, you know, viruses can occasionally get deadlier. That has happened historically with other viruses, but usually it's because it's being dragged along by them being more transmissible or some other um, trait that enhances their spread. What we really need to be focusing on is making sure that we are uh, stopping transmission at this point. And the really good news here, which hopefully addresses the last bit of your question, is that all the methods we've talked about, we've been talking about for the past year and a half, still work against Delta. Delta has not mutated to punch through masks or, you know, turn off air filters in classrooms. Um, it is still stoppable. It is fast, which means, you know, we really need to double down on some of those measures, but we know exactly how to stop this variant. And I suspect that will remain the case for every variant that comes after it. Mm. Uh, okay. We're going to get to listeners here. And again, 313 577 1019 is the number here on the phones. We really want to hear from folks today about how they're managing and navigating all of the confusing questions and uh, uncertainty around coronavirus. Uh, you can also go to Facebook or Twitter, put comments there, and we'll try to work you into the conversation. Let's start today with Hunter in Detroit. Hunter, welcome to the show. To the show. Good morning. Hi. Um, I, I'm all for strict as possible vaccine mandates that, that people's jobs, et cetera, should depend on being vaccinated. Because to me, it's like drunk driving. There's people are selfishly and thoughtlessly putting others at risk out of, out of the stupidity of, of refusing to take a vaccine, even though the evidence, you know, objective evidence is overwhelming that it's safe and effective. Hmm. So, so, Hunter, that's a really interesting, it's a really interesting idea. And it's something that I think is on all of our minds which is what is the appropriate response to people who have decided uh, that they just are not going to participate in the public health imperative around all of, uh, of what's going on? Uh, Catherine, I know that that's a policy question uh, in some ways, and it's not exactly um, what, what, what you're, what you're uh, focusing on and writing about right now. But, but I think one aspect of the question is, is important, which is, is this so serious, uh, the, the, the Delta variant uh, and the, the, the still very dangerous uh, dynamics around coronavirus, is all of that serious enough that there should be some sort of uh, broad government response uh, to those who have not gotten vaccinated? Of course, that's something that uh, we always kind of debate in this country uh, with, with regard to dangerous uh, diseases, but uh, but give us a sense of of how urgent all of this is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I do think there is a lot of urgency for this, you know, and keep in mind that a lot of things do have to rapidly change and, and maybe even go out the window a little bit when we are in a global health crisis, which we are in right now. I think it's been clear that, you know, simply encouraging people to get vaccinated has not been enough for a lot of people. And I think it's probably worth, you know, really doubling down on certain strategies. Maybe mandates are the way uh, for some businesses, for even, you know, uh, larger organizations. Um, something even like a federal mandate could certainly be considered. 
um, one one interesting proposal I've heard about is, you know, thinking about like, are we uh, talking about carrots or sticks here? If people aren't vaccinated, should they be denied certain privileges? Should they not be allowed to uh, fly on planes, for instance, is an mm-hmm. interesting proposal I've heard about. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the, there are also uh, now businesses who are fining their employees for not getting vaccinated. It really is a balance. And I do think some of these strategies will work better for some than others. Uh, it's probably going to require a mix, given how heterogeneous our society is at this point. Um, I do want to add here that, you know, these are kind of broad approaches to increasing vaccination for people who encounter people in their lives on an individual basis. I do always find it's helpful to ask why, you know, why haven't you gotten the vaccine yet? Mm -hmm. There are so many different answers to that question. And the response that I give to one person won't necessarily work for someone else. And it's sometimes really worth finding out why that is. Is it because they are concerned? Is it because they're waiting for more information? We do want to draw a distinction between the people who are hesitant and the people who are staunchly against, because I do think there is still a movable middle in vaccine approaches Mm -hmm. um, that we can really make a difference in. Mm -hmm. Uh, Again, uh, 313-577-1019 is the number here. Let's go to Joan in Southfield. Joan, what's on your mind? Hi. Hi. I just have a, a couple of questions regarding this, the vaccine. I mean, people who, who want to really know or are trying to, to get information where this information would come from is, and we, we're trying to find out from them, it's just as if we're asking the fox who is guarding the hen house and they come up with the shop talk or the jargon and we listen to the languages that they are presenting, hmm. they are not sure not sure about the, the, the depth of the, of, the, of the vaccine, how long it will last, when it will come into effect in future. Mm-hmm. We're talking about getting, getting vaccinated now. What are the effects in future? What will, mm-hmm. they, what will come up in late, at, at a later time? Yeah. We have health. health. Joan, I don't, I, I don't want to cut you off, but, but I do want to ask you, Pretty bluntly, if you've decided about whether to take the, the vaccine. Yes, I have. You've, you've taken the vaccine? I made a decision about it, but I don't want, I, I, I'm not going to, dis, to disclose whether, oh, whether that see. decision was for or against. Okay, okay. Uh, I, I, I really uh, love that you called and, and want to get more information. I think that's, that's uh, a pretty common place for people to be in, whether they have gotten the vaccination uh, or not. Uh, Catherine, will address some of the concerns that Joan has here. Yeah, Joan, thank you so much for calling and asking. And I, I, I really do sympathize with how confusing a time this must be. There is data coming out all the time, so that it seems like it's conflicting with each other. But I think it's important to think about, you know, the fact that this is far from the first vaccine that we have developed. Um, we have such a rich history behind us. And some of the concerns, you know, about like what is going to happen in the future, I think we already have really good information about. So think about safety, for example. Um, you know, for decades, the FDA has been evaluating how safe vaccines are by looking at months of data collected from uh, those studies that the vaccine makers did, uh, giving the vaccine to a small group of people, seeing what happened, you know, did their arms get sore? Uh, did they have, you know, 
more serious effects like allergic reactions. Um, and, you know, they collect several months of data. What we know from a long uh, history of research is that really bad side effects really tend to happen in the first couple months after vaccination, if they happen at all. At this point, some of the first people who got those vaccines have had the vaccines for almost, you know, a year and a half. And we're really not seeing high rates of bad side effects. And that's incredibly encouraging. There are a couple that have been reported on, but they're happening at such low rates. Remember that, you know, with anything that happens to like billions of people, there are going to be strange things that occur, unusual things that occur. But the overwhelming uh, safety message is that these vaccines are extraordinarily safe, um, even compared to a lot of the vaccines that we've had in the past. And then in terms of how well they're working, I think we now have months of data showing that protection against severe disease and death is really holding strong. We're seeing rates of protection, uh, you know, around like 90 plus percent, and that's still holding strong months out from injection. Um, like we discussed a little bit earlier on the show, a few people are getting infected, but that is not the biggest concern. The vaccines were originally designed to protect against severe disease and death from putting you in the hospital if you were to get infected with this virus. And that is absolutely still true. And everything we know about how the immune system works suggests that that's going to hold true for quite some time. Okay, uh, Catherine Wu, staff writer at The Atlantic. It was really, really great to have you here to help uh, our listeners sort through this confusing time in the pandemic. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to continue talking about this moment in the pandemic and what we're to do with all the confusing choices around uh, the coronavirus. We're going to talk with Sarah Zhang of The Atlantic about learning to live alongside the coronavirus, something that we almost certainly are going to have to do. We want to continue to hear from you as well. Bethany in Detroit, uh, Sanaa in Detroit. We will get to both of you. If you want to join them, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Now, an update from WDET General Manager Mary Zatina. Our summer has been a bit like yours, wet. WDET suffered severe damage in the late June storm. Wayne State University dried us out and is restoring our facility one soggy wall at a time. We lost some historic memorabilia and our central air. It's hot. We have bad hair days, but thank God it's radio. The WDET team remains on the air with only our spirits slightly dampened. We launched the Constitution Book Club, the Artist Next Door Project, an online guide to summer fun, and a voter's guide. And for the first time in a long time, you joined us at some fun events. Our news team has not wavered, bringing you the news no matter what. And the new transmitter is on the way. We are diligent. We are resilient. WDET is here for you. And thanks to your generosity, we always will be. This is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. And as always, uh, thanks for tuning in. We're talking this hour about this moment in the pandemic. 
where we are with the coronavirus, with the Delta variant, with vaccines, with our <clears throat> real yearning to get back to life at least somewhat the way it was before the coronavirus. We want to hear from you about how you're managing all this, how you're navigating all of these really confusing choices that we have. Uh, are you going back to many of the things that you used to do before? Uh, are you gathering in in doors, in, uh, in large crowds? Are you not wearing a mask uh, any longer? Um, or are you somebody who is sort of tentatively trying to get back to the world and have a list of things that you think are okay and a list of things that you think are still not okay. Also, give us a call. Let us know how you're managing these these questions with your children. Uh, what are the things that you're okay with them doing uh, and not doing, especially as school restarts with uh, in-person learning being the predominant way that uh, education is being delivered in our city and state. Uh, as always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. And you can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. Uh, my next guest says COVID-19 is probably going to be with us forever. Pretty strong word. But as discouraging as that sounds, Atlantic staff writer Sarah Zhang says the pandemic will end one way or another. And living with the new coronavirus might get easier and easier over time. Uh, Sarah Zhang, welcome to Detroit Today. Oh, thank you for having me. Yeah. So first, what leads you to the conclusion that COVID-19 is essentially here to stay forever? Yeah, I've been talking to scientists for over a year about this question, and I actually wrote a piece a year ago last summer um, saying that the coronavirus is here to stay. And I think, unfortunately, over the past year, that only feels more and more inevitable. Um, so why is the coronavirus here to stay? Well, it's just, at this point, the virus is just so widespread all over the world. Um, it's so contagious, and it can also um, infect animals, which can then for example, deer we're finding, and those animals can then come back and infect us. Um, I think, you know, with SARS in 2003, we kind of got lucky because this is a virus that's pretty easy to contain. It was very severe, but you knew when someone was sick. Mm -hmm. And just to put it in context, we've only eradicated one disease ever, uh, kind of for the history of um, human health, which is smallpox. So that kind of gives you a chance of just a sense of how difficult it is to be to get rid of, kind of put the genie back in a bottle at this point. Um, but as you say, I don't think that this means that we are doomed to like live in pandemic life forever, you know, and I'm talking about the long term in this case. I'm not talking about, you know, weeks from now or even later this year, but in the long term, the pandemic will end when enough people have gotten some immunity from the virus. That's either because they've gotten the virus and they've recovered from it, or they've been preferably vaccinated from it. Um, and what we're seeing now with these big spikes in uh, hospitalizations, uh, all the deaths we're seeing, the pandemic is really a function of a novel virus meeting naive immune systems. But in a world where everyone has some immunity from the virus, you know, the second time you get it, you might get it a second time, right? Like we're seeing vaccine breakthrough infections, we are seeing reinfections. Uh, but the second time is not going to be as severe as the first time because your immune system has had that head start. Um, and so in this world, like the coronavirus is just not the same danger, not the same pandemic nature that we've been living with. It's probably going to be something a little bit like 
like all the colds and flus that we live with. It's something that circulates every year. It might have a season where it gets worse in the winter, um, but it's not going to be something that is breaking our healthcare system kind of continuously on our endeavors as doing right now. Mm. So uh, you say there's also a good chance that this will be less devastating going forward. What, what, what tells you that? And what do you think the future probably looks like as, as we get further into, into dealing with this? Yeah, I think there may be three scenarios that we can think about. I mean, the first one is that this virus looks a little bit like the common cold. So um, coronaviruses are actually a family of viruses, and there's actually four other really common coronaviruses that circulate and that, in fact, is all the time. We don't really, yeah, they have names that are really obscure, like 229E and like a, a OC43. And that's because um, they cause common colds. Uh, they're really mild. We don't really think about them. But we've actually all been infected by them. We actually probably all had them first when we were children when the disease was pretty mild. And that gave us kind of some immunity that has just kind of built up over our lifetimes. Every time you get reinfected, um, that kind of strengthens your immunity against the virus. So, you know, it could be that this coronavirus in the long term, when anyone, everyone's vaccinated and has immunity to it, could be something a little bit like a fifth coronavirus that causes a common cold. I think most scientists I've said, like talk to you, have said this is the, the best case scenario. This is what we would really hope for. Um, a slight, you know, a less good scenario is that this virus is more severe than the common cold. Maybe it's a little bit more like the flu. And the flu is something we live with, right? But the flu is not totally benign. The flu kills something like uh, tens of thousands of Americans every year. Um, but it is something that we have kind of accepted a certain number of flu cases every year. You know, we maybe never sat down at a table and decided a certain number of flu cases every year is okay, but we certainly lived our lives as if it was normal, right? Like we traveled in no flu season, we traveled to visit our family in the height of flu season, and a lot of Americans don't get flu shots, even though flu shots are available. But, you know, flu is manageable. We, as I said, we have the flu shot. Um, in, a, in a bad flu year, hospital systems do get stressed. But year to year, flu is something that is fairly manageable and it's a risk that we live with and like for the most part are okay with living with. Um, I think a third scenario, and this is because it's a novel coronavirus, you don't know exactly where it's going to go, is that it ends up somewhere a little bit worse than the flu. Um, and I don't know exactly where that will be. You know, one sort of X factor is, of course, long COVID. We don't really have a great understanding of what causes long COVID, why some people get long COVID, and others don't, even when they have a mild case. And we don't have a good sense of whether vaccines are protective against long COVID. You know, scientists I've talked to think that if you've been vaccinated, your body is just not dealing with the virus for the first time you would, you would be if you were just got infected. So we would think that it probably does have some effect on protecting against long COVID, but we don't know for sure. And that is a question that um, we'll have to uh, live with for a while. But, but the upshot is that, you know, our current vaccines are very good at protecting against the illness, but we, we, we're we not going to be in the same place forever. We will probably have boosters. We'll have vaccines that um, are up to date against new variants. And um, we might have better vaccines. For example, um, nasal vaccines that kind of are better inducing immunity in the nose to prevent infection. We had better treatments. So um, there are a lot of things that are kind of up in the air, but I'd say that we should probably expect it to be somewhere around like one of these respiratory illnesses we deal with every year, maybe a little worse, maybe a little better, but not the pandemic that we're currently living with. Yeah. Yeah. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phone's call and tell us how you're navigating all of these confusing issues and questions uh, around the pandemic. Uh, you can also go to Facebook and Twitter, put comments there. Let's go to Heather in Beverly Hills. Heather, welcome to the show. 
Oh, hello. Can you hear me? I can. Go ahead, Heather. Hi, hi. Um, I'm on the. Okay, I just took you off speaker. Okay, thank you. Go ahead. Hi. Oh, I just would love to share that um, if people don't, you know, cannot work from home and wear N95s, et cetera, like I do. I'm lucky. I'm very fortunate. Um, if they want to reverse, uh, reduce the severity of their COVID, if they get it, like the vaccines supposedly do, then people can get in shape, lose weight, reverse diabetes type 2, reverse their cardiovascular disease. And there is a sure way, certainly, based on all the evidence I've read, to help you know, reduce the severity of, of the disease. Uh, okay. Um, what do you think about, uh, what, what do you think about the idea of vaccinations as a way of reducing the spread of the disease though? Wants the easy way, the pill, they want the shot, the surgery, whatever's easiest. And that's natural for all organisms. It's called the motivational triad. We are motivated, everyone from amoeba all the way to humans, by conserving energy, pleasure-seeking, and pain avoidance. So we all want to have the easy way, for sure. But sometimes the harder way is the best way, and that would be like reversing diabetes type 2, which is very easy through diet, reversing cardiovascular disease, very easy through diet, reversing obesity. All of these, to me, should be what our nation should focus on. But we don't have a, we don't have a lobby. For the, you know, the pharmaceutical companies have a lobby. They can really push their message. Mm. But we don't have the organization to push this message as a nation to become stronger, fit, healthy, you know, more durable. And it's really sad to me. Mm. So, uh, Heather, I really appreciate the the call and and the perspective. Uh, Sarah, this sounds to me like at least part of what we might think about when we talk about adapting to this as a long-term issue that, changing, I guess, some habits or changing some behaviors might also make the coronavirus less less uh, less infectious, less deadly. Uh, is, is Heather right about these, these, these ideas? Yeah, Heather, thank you for your question. You know, I think there are a lot of reasons we want to reduce cardiovascular disease and diabetes in the U.S., right? Like those are, even without thinking about the pandemic, those are really big health problems that we as a society live with uh, constantly. Um, you know, it is interesting, like one of the things that has made it really difficult to compare country to country responses is that the age and the health of a, of a population in different countries is so different, right? Like sometimes we say like, why did this country do so much better or so much worse than the other when it seemed like they were doing similar things? And one of the answers may be just that the population was younger, the you know, population was healthier in some ways. Um, I, I do think that just in terms of um, respiratory diseases in general, um, COVID has kind of given us a, a roadmap to um, really figure out how to eliminate them, right? This past year, we didn't really have colds. We didn't have a flu season at all. You know, I was saying earlier, we had kind of taken flu for granted, but actually we actually had an experience where we figure out how to get rid of flu. And the way we do that is that we wear face masks and we kind of limit our social contacts during flu season. Um, flu is less infectious than COVID. So we are essentially able to almost eliminate it. Um, there have been some 
strains of flu that might have even gone extinct over this past year because there's so little flu circulation. Um, you know, I also, I also have spoken to asthma patients who barely got any asthma attacks over the past year. Like, normally they were beginning several a year and barely got any over the past year. And they kind of attribute it to the fact that they were wearing masks and not being exposed to these respiratory viruses. So I think one of the really interesting, maybe hopefully, um, you know, positive outcomes from this pandemic is just having a better understanding of respiratory illnesses and respiratory viruses and, and how they spread and that we don't need to take them for granted. Um, like this doesn't mean we have to wear masks all the time. Another option is to think about changing the ventilation in many of the public buildings we're in. Um, but we do have an understanding of how to really, you know, reduce that burden on our health as well. Mm. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to continue this conversation about the coronavirus, uh, the pandemic, and how we need to be adapting to the idea that uh, all of it may be with us for much longer than we initially anticipated. 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. If you want to join the conversation, we'll get to Bethany and Sanaa and Emily uh, in the next uh, segment. If you want to join them, give us a call. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. My guest is Sarah Zhang, a staff writer at The Atlantic, and we're talking about uh, COVID-19, the pandemic that is still going on, uh, the way it has changed, and uh, the way that we may need to change permanently uh, to make COVID uh, something that we can deal with uh, and is not uh, as dangerous and lethal as it is right now. Uh, we want to hear from you, 313-577-1019. That's 313 1019. Uh, you can also go to the Facebook page here at WDET or to Twitter and uh, put comments there. We'll try to work you into the conversation. Let's go to uh, Sanaa in Detroit. Sanaa, welcome to Detroit Today. Hello. Hi. Thank you for um, having me on. Mm-hmm. I, I'm calling because I, I have an opinion about, I'm not sure about the vaccine. Um, I, I'm not sure how it affects circulation. And so I wanted to kind of wait to see if there was going to be more data on the impacts and more research done. But while I was waiting, I started to feel really manipulated and pressured by the government, by the media, by other people. I mean, and now people are even saying that people who are unvaccinated are, are, may kill them. So I'm really concerned that I might be subject to a lynch mob. And this, to me, is bordering on fascism. I wonder if these are the kinds of conversations that were being had right before the Holocaust really took took hold. Mm. So, Sanaa, I would uh, be remiss if I didn't uh, call you out on that invocation of of the Holocaust in comparison to the idea of the vaccinations that are saving lives here uh, because of COVID-19. There is absolutely no logical or reasonable parallel between those two things, and that's a really dangerous uh, that's a really dangerous uh, uh, way to think this through. Uh, I, I, I do want to respect your uh, your hesitancy about uh, the vaccine and the concerns that you have. Uh, I, I think everybody is trying to sort through this on uh, on their own and try to figure out 
what works and what doesn't. But I will say that, you know, you said you're concerned that people are saying that those who are unvaccinated are spreading the disease. Uh, there, there's no other, there is no other way to, I think, from a scientific perspective, describe that. It is uh, the reason that the, 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 that COVID is able to, to continue in the way that it is. It is the unvaccinated population uh, that is spreading the disease. Of course, I don't think there should be a lynch mob or, uh, or, or any other uh, really negative uh, consequence because of that. The, the question is, how do we get people who are unvaccinated and uncertain uh, to make the decision uh, uh, to do that, not just for themselves, but for the larger community? And that is the, that's the stumbling block that we're facing is that people are thinking, well, I'm not sure about it, but they're not thinking about what effect that has on the rest of us as this disease continues to spread. Uh, Sarah Zang, I'll give you a chance to address uh, what Sanaa was saying as well. I think what I would say is that I I hear the frustration you're feeling with people who are um, calling, maybe calling you names for being unvaccinated, but I think they're also coming from a place of fear themselves, right? It, it, it is in fact true that if you're unvaccinated, you're more likely to get the virus and you're more likely to spread it. And we're seeing that's exactly what we're seeing right now um, in areas and in states and communities where there's very low vaccination rates. There's just so much more spread of the virus and there is places where there are um, high vaccination rates. So I think there's a lot of emotion on both sides of this because people genuinely are worried for their health. Um, and I think, you know, part of the thing about being vaccinated is that you're protecting yourself, but it also is about uh, protecting the community as well. Um, once you get vaccinated, you're less likely to spread it to someone, for example, like a young child who cannot get vaccinated. Um, I think that's where some of the emotion is coming from. But I, I you know, I, I understand where people are coming from, but I also wish we could dial it down and you know, address the concerns you, you have and, and deal with that rather than you know, jumping to lunch mouse. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, again, Sanaa, I really appreciate uh, that you listen and uh, thank you for the call. Let's go to Jennifer in Royal Oak. Jennifer, what's on your mind? Hi. Um, just when talking about dealing with day to day in this pandemic, mm-hmm. I know I'm personally struggling with what I feel comfortable doing. I did get the vaccine. I trust the vaccine. But it's like I still have this internal conflict, it seems, daily, whether I feel comfortable going out to dinner or seeing family. Um, I'm supposed to get married in two months. And even though we're technically allowed to have a quote unquote normal wedding, I find myself thinking, well, is this is this smart or even safe to, to do? And it's it seems like um, it's hard when it seems like the world around you has gone back to normal and there's mm-hmm. almost peer pressure to, to do things. And you don't know. It, it just it's just hard. And I wish that we were all on the same page. It's, it's really sad to me. Hmm. Yeah, uh, Jennifer, I, I, I absolutely hear you. Uh, and I hear a lot of other people saying many of the same things about the choices that we face about life and how to how to manage those and navigate those, even though uh, we are still trying to figure out how to live uh, with this virus. Jennifer, thanks so much uh, for the call and the comments. Uh, let's quickly go to Emily in Dearborn. Emily, welcome to the show. Oh, good morning, Stephen. Hi. Thank you for having me. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Well, first of all, I want to tell you how much I enjoy listening to you. You always have interesting topics and always give words of wisdom. Oh, thank you. Now, my problem seems to be unusual. I haven't heard anyone discuss it. I am a church organist and a choir director. Mm-hmm. 
I miss working with the choir, and I'm concerned about the singers. They are probably losing their skills because I doubt that they're practicing seriously at home. Mm. Now, I know that singing is spelled lots of droplets, <laughs> and there's no way to practice social distancing in the choir law because we don't have a lot of space, and singers need to sing side by side. Any support? Mm. Yeah, that, it's a great question, Emily, and I can hear in your voice the kind of, I guess, sadness about not being able to gather together on Sunday morning and have a choir and and be singing in, in religious expression. I mean, it's one of the things that, that I think, uh, you know, lots of us count on and have not been able to really do for the last year and a half. Uh, Sarah Zhang, uh, answer Emily's uh, question here. Yeah, I also miss being around people. You know, I miss going to the office and seeing my coworkers too. Um, uh, so, on, on the question of, of singing, have you considered maybe uh, doing rehearsals outside? Is that a possibility at all? Rehearsals? Well, we have a pipe organ. We have organs. I can't see having a rehearsal outside, but then how are they going to sing on Sunday since they can't sing side by side? <laughs> yeah. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I think. Unfortunately, we might just be with this a little bit longer. This, uh, you know, I, I think I just want to make clear that this, as I was, we were saying earlier in the show, this pandemic is just, it's not going to last forever, right? Um, in a world where everyone has been vaccinated or has some immunity, we don't have to worry about this anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what is the, the reason that I feel like people have the sense of emergency is that our hospitals are filling up and our ICUs are filling up. And if you're sick and you have COVID, that's bad news. But if you're sick with other things, if you end a car accident, that's also bad. I think so. If we can get hospitalizations down, if hospitals are no longer overwhelmed, I think that's the metric for when we can really start going back to normal activities. Um, so I just want to put that little like light at the end of the tunnel for you and i think unfortunately that we are this is reality we're living with right now but i won't be with this forever yeah okay sarah zhang of uh, the atlantic it was really great to have you with us for this uh, conversation thanks so much for joining us oh thank you Okay, that is going to do it for us today. Tune in tomorrow for a really interesting conversation uh, with writer Jelani Cobb, who is re-examining the Kerner Commission issued about 51 or 52 years ago, uh, a look at two separate Americas uh, when it comes to race and equality. Uh, What does that look like in 2021? He's doing some really interesting thinking about that subject, and we'll have a great conversation about it. This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.